that was not my plan. That was their plan. Uh, so, but yes, uh, I'm the new pastor, and I am one of the Beach Boys. So, uh, if you're over 30 years old, you'll know what that reference means. Uh, for everybody else, listen to some Surfing USA or something this afternoon, and that was me singing that. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, let me just say good morning to you and welcome to you. Um, if you're here and you're one of our guests, you're a first-time visitor, we're really happy that you're here as well. Uh, hopefully you've uh, been made welcome. Um, I want to say on behalf of our family, uh, we've, been, we've felt so welcome in the first week and a half we've been here. Um, we've been in so many homes for meals and out to eat with people, and um, it's just been really great, and we really feel like family already. So uh, just thank you for that, uh, for our family making us feel at home. Uh, so I hope everybody's ready for the Super Bowl tonight. Who's ready? Anybody ready? Okay, all right. Should we take a few moments and pray against the Patriots right now? Because I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I think of that verse in the Psalms where the, where the psalmist says, Lord, why do the wicked keep prospering, you know? And, uh, and that's Tom Brady. So uh, anyway, we won't, we won't go down that route this morning, okay? Uh, but uh, again, just really happy to be here and uh, excited to partner with you guys to do ministry here. God has some big things in store for our community and for our city and uh, so many great people here in this congregation. I can't wait to meet the rest of you. And if I haven't met you, I'm going to be out at the connection point right outside the doors afterwards. Please come by and introduce yourself. Don't be shy. Um, I'd love to be able to meet you and say hello to your family. So uh, just happy to be here. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into a brand new series, okay? Father, thank you so much for uh, who you are. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for the church. God, it's a gift from you. Uh, We need one another. We need this community to go forward. And so we're so grateful uh, for the chance to gather corporately, to worship, to lift high your name, to open your word. And so, God, we just ask today that you would give us open hearts and open minds to your word, um, that we would allow the words of Scripture to penetrate our hearts and change our lives. And we ask that you would help us to leave differently than we came. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start a new series today called Best Question Ever. All right, so look at your neighbor and say, Best Question Ever. Very good, very good. Let's try it again. You ready? One, two, three, go. Good. Now, this question, I love, I love this series, and we're going to be talking about this for the next few weeks here, all through February, but I love this question because it's so incredibly clarifying and so incredibly practical for us. Um, it really is a question that can change every facet of our lives and our family and our finances, et cetera. It's a filter um, that I personally have been using for, for several years now, and uh, really every decision, every invitation, every opportunity, um, I put it through this filter, and it has saved me from a lot of tears, a lot of regret, a lot of pain. It saved a lot of money. It saved a lot of time, and so it's really a question, and we could put it this way. It's a question that answers just about everything. It really does. Um, it's a question that answers just about everything, and I promise you, if we as a community of believers will apply it, it will save you a lot of time. Who wants to save more time? Who wants to save more money? It's going to save you from a lot of tears and a lot of regrets. And I would bet if you could go back to that moment of greatest regret in your life, if you had applied this question, it might have helped you bypass that moment of greatest regret. You know, for me, uh, one, of my, one of my moments of uh, greatest regret uh, happened about 12 years ago. I, I was a counselor at a Christian camp in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, it was after college, and uh, I did that for about a year and a half, two years. And um, in the summertime, I was a counselor, and I was assigned each week eight different young men uh, to be in my cabin with me all week. And I was with them uh, arm in arm all week long. Uh, we did lots of activities. We hiked. We, we played together. Well, on this given week, um, I was given uh, a really great group of guys. And generally, it was like 11th and 12th graders. 
And uh, on that given week, I, uh, I was assigned a group of jocks. And if I remember right, they were all from the same uh, team or same school or maybe one or two schools, but they had all played ball together. They were big basketball guys. Again, this is one of the reasons I'm so glad God called us to Kansas because you guys love and appreciate basketball. It's a gift from God. It really is. It really is. And these guys got me. They were jocks, and I was a jock, more old than jock lately. I'll tell you that. But listen, we played basketball all week long in all of our free time. It was us, and we just ran the table against any of the other cabins. It was fantastic. So the week was going great. Well, a big part of the week there at the, the camp was the team competitions. And so kind of picture this. Each week we'd have about 1,000 to 1,200 students come through the camp. And they would split them up into three teams, and we had the red team, the blue team, and the green team. And we were really creative with our team names, okay? Uh, red, blue, and green. And uh, you did these team competitions all throughout the week. Well, it was coming up on the end of the week, and the race was very close. And I'll be honest, you would have thought we were competing for the Super Bowl, the way we were fighting for these, these wins, okay? We would get in there. I mean, I, I think back to it. I'm so glad there's no video of it. Because we would scream and yell and holler. We would lose our voices cheering you know, over something silly, you know, but, you, but it was a big deal. You wanted to win the week. So I think it was Thursday that week, and uh, we were coming down to one of the last couple events, and uh, that event was called Tube Tug. And, uh, and basically, it's a simple event. The Tube Tug, you, you have a team on one end of the field, a team on the other end of a soccer field, and you have giant inflated uh, inner tubes in the center of the field. And the idea is that you run from one side, the other team runs from the other side, and you guys tug until the whistle blows, and whoever has it on their side of the field at the end of the whistle or the end of the round wins the point. Okay, pretty simple idea. Well, that day it was going pretty well. I had been cheering on my guys, and by the way, they called me coach. They decided they wanted to call me coach because I was the coach of the cabin. And so the whole, the whole day I had been, or for the whole event, I had been just jabbing them, okay, about like how coaches do. You know, I just started talking junk, and I would insult them. I would talk about their mothers. It was just, it was one of those things where, you know, and uh, I mean, really, we did. And I was getting them so fired up, and they were doing really well. Well, the counselors normally didn't get to play. We were normally just the cheerleaders in the background cheering on the campers. And um, all of a sudden, about halfway through the event, um, the guy that's on the, the megaphone or the PA system or whatever says, counselor round. Well, immediately I light up. Every counselor on the, on the grounds that day lights up, and we get really excited. And I really wanted to impress these young men because I'd been telling them about my glory days of, of high school basketball and college basketball. Listen, listen, men, you know how it is. With the older we get, the better we were. Isn't that how it was, right? We have glory, it's called glory day syndrome. And I was telling them all this stuff, and I just, I couldn't wait because I got a chance to perform for these guys, and I was going to show them up. And so I, I had my plan. My idea was that rather than running and trying to tube tug, I was just going to run as hard as I could, drop my shoulder, knock the other guy down, take the tube, and run back to the starting line. That was my plan. And so I get up to the line, and I'm about to go, and one of the last things I remember hearing was one of those little punks in my cabin going, all right, coach, let's see what you got. I was like, oh, you're about to see it. Here we go. So I got down, waited for that whistle. The whistle blew, and I took off like a lion was chasing me as fast as I could toward the middle of the, the field. I get really close to the middle of the field, but here's the thing. The other guy that was going up against me had the same plan as I did. And so as we entered the center section of the field running full speed with one another, I lowered my shoulder, he lowered his, and all of a sudden I heard a, and we collided knees going full speed at one another. And I shattered my kneecap. And I looked down, and the top half of my knee was up here. And I thought to myself, I don't remember leaving that there. <laughs> and, and so I just rolled over in the fetal position, and they kept playing tube tug over the top of me. There's a fallen soldier on the ground. 
laying it all on the line for the Super Bowl, and you're tube tugging over the top of me. Needless to say, we didn't win. Okay, we didn't win the tube. And needless to say, I had uh, reconstructive surgery, about a year of physical therapy, and all my dreams of being a leg model were just dashed in an instant, okay? That was my moment of greatest regret, one of them, okay? Now, listen, that's a funny story, but think about your life. We've all got moments where we're like, man, if I could do that over again, I would not have done that. It might have been a relationship that failed, and you thought, man, if I had just done this, that relationship would have worked. Or it could be a financial situation where you said, man, I wish I hadn't have invested here. I wish I wouldn't have spent this money here. I wish I wouldn't have bought this car. I wish I wouldn't have bought that house. I wish I wouldn't have gone into debt. And if we think back through our lives, we all have moments of regret. Isn't that true? Now, here's the thing. This question that we're going to talk about today, okay, it has the ability to bring such clarity that it can help us bypass those moments of great regret. Now listen, it's not fail-proof. We're human beings and we're going to sin and we live in a fallen world and we're still going to make mistakes. But here's the thing. God's given us a really good guide called God's Word. And if we'll apply it, it actually can help reroute us around a lot of tears. It'll save us a lot of time. It'll save us a lot of money and it'll keep us from having a life of regrets. Does that sound good? Does everybody think that's a good thing? Yeah, I think so too. So here's the deal. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to jump into it in just a second. Go to Ephesians 5. Get your Bibles or your electronic devices. Go ahead to that. And uh, hopefully you charged up your Bibles today. <laughs> it's becoming the, the common trend now. We just bring our phone. If you've got your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to jump into verse 15 in just a minute. But before we do, I want to, I want to give you a little bit of context here as to what's happening and who the writer of this, of this book is. So a lot of times in church, we throw around words. We say, okay, let's go to Ephesians. And if you've been in church for a long time, you almost become numb to that. Um, and if you're new to church, you're like, well, what's an Ephesian? I don't even know what that is. Listen, so here's the deal. Paul had planted a church, and he's writing a letter to a group of people at a church in a city called Ephesus. That's where we're getting this from. Paul, if you remember, okay, Paul didn't come, he didn't step into history as a Jesus follower, did he? Actually, he stepped into history as a Christian killer. That's what he was doing. Okay? He was a very educated, very religious man, but the way they viewed Christians and Christianity, that it was some knockoff Jewish cult, and he was going to put an end to it. And he actually had legal documentation that allowed him to go and not just capture Christians, but kill Christians. This is the guy that's writing the letter. Okay? Now, if you remember the story, maybe you do, maybe you don't. He was on the road to Damascus. He was, he was walking or riding down a road toward a city called Damascus, and God shines a light on him, right? And in an instant, he becomes a Jesus follower, okay? Now let's put that into our context for a minute here, okay? Imagine for a minute that you're a Kansas Jayhawks fan, okay? It's hard for me too. I know, it's hard, it's hard, okay? All right, listen, you're a Kansas Jayhawks fan. Now listen, we're staying in Lakin right now, so we're 30 minutes west, right? Yeah, 30 minutes west of here, okay? So imagine for a minute you're a Kansas Jayhawks fan, and you're driving your car on Highway 50, and you're headed towards Lakin to go to the hospital. And you're not just any Kansas Jayhawks fan. You're the kind that has like a picture of Bill Self on your family mantle right in the middle of all your pictures, okay? Anybody like that? If anyone has that on their mantle, we probably should talk. That's probably a problem, okay? But this is the kind of person, okay? And halfway on the way to Lake, and you're passing the big pasture of sheep, which I've, I've, been, I've been keeping that road hot, so I actually know a few of the sheep's names at this point, um, as I've been driving back and forth between here and Lake. And, and halfway to Lake, and you decide you're going to become a Kansas State Wildcats fan, right? Any Kansas State fans in the house? Okay, there you go. You can clap. It's okay. It's okay. All right. 
But not only do you become a Kansas State Wildcats fan, you actually get to the hospital and you start telling everybody there, you've got to be a Kansas State Wildcat fan. You've got, and then you spend the rest of your life converting people from pulling for the birds to pulling for the cats. Listen, now that's comical, it's funny, but this is literally what happened to the Apostle Paul. And we're talking major stuff here. He went from a killer, Christian killer, to Jesus follower, and he was transformed in a moment. And he's going to write to the people here, here in Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, this letter, because he wants to see them become transformed too. He's experienced the power of God in his life. And what he's doing here, if you were to read the beginning part of the chapter 5, he's giving them some do's and don'ts, some things that should be transforming their lives just the way his life was transformed. Does that make sense? You guys with me? You guys with me? All right, let's jump right in. You ready? Verse 15. It'll be up on the screens if you need to see it there, if you don't have your Bibles with you. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Now, some translations, depending on what you have in your lap right now, uh, would actually translate the word live as the word walk. So we could say it like this. Be very careful then how you walk, how you go about your life. Be very careful then. And so what he's saying is don't be careless, be careful as you're walking around doing life. We could illustrate it this way. My uh, daughter, Claire, loves these little toys called Shopkins. Anybody, anybody have kids that love Shopkins, or, or am I alone? You've dodged a bullet if, okay, one little girl says, I love Shopkins. I don't even know what they are, really. I just wish I would have thought of them, because the person who thought of them is probably laying on a beach somewhere right now, and just retired and kicking his feet up. But there are these little plastic chunks, hard plastic and they're like little objects from around the house. Like one could be like a can of pop, or one would be like a can of, of like green beans, but it'll have a face on it. And I don't really know what they do with them, but I know what my daughter does with them. She leaves them all over the floor. And they're hard plastic. And not only are they hard plastic, but we have a dog, a lovely little mutt named Lucy. And Lucy loves to find the Shopkins and the carpet and chew them. Now, mind you, she doesn't eat them. It'd actually be better if she ate them. She chews them up until they're these, they turn into these jagged little landmines. And then she spits them out on the ground. And so when, each night, whenever uh, we put our kids to bed about 8, 8.30 or so, and uh, before we go to bed around 11, I always go in and check on our kids to make sure they're good, make sure there's nothing wrong. You know, how, all you guys do that as parents probably. As I walk in the room, there's been many times when I've not been careful and I've been careless and I've stepped on one of those bad boys and I have thought and maybe even said words that I'm not proud of. Anybody been there? Let's be honest. Come on. Maybe it's Legos in your house, okay? Listen, this is what Paul's talking about. He says, look, when you're walking, you got to look down. you got to look around. You've got to look ahead. You've got to look behind. Think about where you want to go. Don't just walk mindlessly. Don't just walk carelessly. He says, be careful, okay? Let's keep going. Keep going through the verse. We're going to keep adding on to it. Next slide there for me, guys. Look at verse 15 again. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise. Everybody say wise. Here what he's doing, he's equating being unwise with careless and wise with careful. Now, you know, in our culture, that's the opposite of the way we're told to live, isn't it? We're told to just live in the moment. Don't think about wisdom. Don't, think, don't, don't be careful. Do what you want to do. If you were to listen to any song and probably any TV show or movie, the main theme of it, uh, it's all about tonight. 
Let's, let's do this tonight. Let's do this today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just do what feels right right now. And Paul is saying no. He says, listen, people at Ephesus, church at Ephesus, I'm writing this letter because I care about you. I don't want you to be unwise. I want you to be wise. I want you to think about where you're going. Think about where you've been. Think about where you want to be. Don't just be careless with your one and only life. Does that make sense? Let's keep going. So be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about that later on in this series. Um, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail about that word opportunity there. For our purposes today, I want you to have this, this reference point, though. The word opportunity is a, it's a time word, okay? He's saying, make good use of your time. Make the most of every opportunity. Redeem your time. Don't waste it. You have a limited amount of time. Believe it or not, it's your most valuable asset. There'll always be more money to be made. There'll always be more things to do. There'll always be more things to possess. But your time is your most valuable asset. You only get to spend it once and you never get it back. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks in James. He says your life is what? It's a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. And so Paul is saying, he says, listen, don't waste your life. Don't be careless with your life. Be careful with your life and be wise with it. But then he includes this really interesting phrase at the end of that verse. It says, because the days are evil. Everybody say evil. And then say Tom Brady. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I got to stop doing that. Okay. All right. Because the days are evil. It's an interesting phrase. What, what Paul is saying here is this. He, go, he says, there's a current of culture that's flowing all around us, right? And if you just pick your feet up and go with the flow of culture, you'll end up somewhere you don't want to be. If you just pick your feet up and you float down that river of culture that we see all around us right now, it'll take you someplace financially you don't want to be. If you pick up your feet and float down that river, that flow of culture, in, in your relationships or in your family life or in your marriage, it'll take you a place that you don't want to be. And so what he's saying is, look, don't go with the flow. If you go with the flow, it'll take you somewhere you don't want to go. That rhymed like Dr. Seuss. That's really, really good, okay? Listen, don't go with the flow. It's going to take you somewhere you don't want to go, really. He says, look, the culture is not going to help you make good choices. The culture is not going to help you ask the best question ever. The culture is actually going to bait you all the way. We'll talk about that too in a few weeks. Culture is going to bait you all the way to the line. And then when you fall over or fall off the cliff, they're going to berate you and they're going to criticize you. That's what culture is going to do. We see it left and right all day long. Social media, TV, news. Anytime someone makes a mistake, that's usually it. They've been baited to the line. And then when they fall in, we get criticized. And so what he's saying is, look, there is a current of culture. Do not go with the flow. The days are evil. And then look at what he says in the last part there, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish. We could say it in our, in our words, don't be stupid. It sounds, it feels harsh, but he cares about these people. He wants them to make good choices. He says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And what he's getting at here is, he says, look, all of us like to look for loopholes, don't we? Yeah, religious people are terrible about it. We love looking for loopholes, right? Well, I know I'm supposed to do this, but if I do it this way, then I'm okay, and, I, and I'm okay, and we can rationalize it. In, in uh, Paul's day and in Jesus' day, they had people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, that would, they had a big list of rules that God had given them initially, and they added to that. I mean, there were hundreds of these different rules that they had, and they would come up with all these rules, and they would create loopholes to get around them, okay? We could have a discussion about that later. We don't have time to go into detail about it, but essentially, they looked for loopholes, and what he's saying is, look, don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. 
Don't deceive yourself. I want you to understand, or we can say literally, I want you to face up to the truth and what you know the truth is. Because here's the deal. Most of the time, you know what you ought to do in a situation. Don't you? Be really honest with yourself. I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I'll say things like this. I don't, I don't know what God wants me to do about this. What I'm really saying is God show me what I need to do, and I've got this list over here of these reasons. And think, I mean, You guys with me? I've got this list of reasons of things that I think are right, things that I have rationalized, and what I'm really saying is, you know what, God's told me what he wants me to do. I know what he wants me to do, but I actually want to go my own way instead. See, we're really good at talking ourselves out of things that we should be doing and talking ourselves into things that we shouldn't be doing. Isn't that right? And what he's saying here is, look, don't be foolish. You know the right thing that you're supposed to be doing. So often we know. Be honest with yourself. What is that right thing that you should be doing? He says, look, we're so smart. We can rationalize anything. Now, here's the deal. Okay? We put all this together. Go to that next slide for me, guys. We put all this together. We're going to go back to verse 15. And I think this really extrapolates what Paul is trying to tell us in this passage. Okay? Verse 15, ready? Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. What Paul is saying, for every invitation, every opportunity, every decision, the best question ever is not, what can I talk myself into? What can I rationalize and make sense of? It's not what your neighbor is doing. It's not what your family or your friends are doing. It's not what your brother or your sister are doing. The, he's saying, listen, the best question that you can ask, it's not even, is it right or is it wrong? This question it actually supersedes what's right and wrong. Okay? The best question ever is this. They're going to throw it on the screen for you. What's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing? thing to do. Go ahead and write it down. I want to say it together. I want, you guys, I want this to ring in your ears for the coming days and weeks and throughout the remainder of this month. You ready? On the count of three, we're going to say it together. One, two, three. What's the wise thing to do? One more time. Ready? What's the... Now, what I want to do for the next few minutes is I kind of want to tease this out, and I want it to get really, really specific and personal with this question. Okay? It might be a little bit uncomfortable because, because we're going to ask you to assess yourself you're going to do a self-evaluation here in this. Because here's the thing. You've got to evaluate yourself because the easiest person to deceive sometimes is you. You know, Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, in chapter 17, verse 9, says, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? And it's so true. So often we can talk ourselves into doing things and deceive ourselves into doing things that aren't the wise thing to do. And it's easy to do because we'd say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. That's, that's the most common one we, I hear so often. Well, there's nothing wrong with this. Well, yes, there is nothing wrong with it, but is it the wise thing for you to do? Is it the wise thing? And if, again, if we're really honest with ourselves, and I'm really going to ask you to do that this morning and throughout this series, you know exactly how you ended up where you are today. This is probably what it looked like. It was several unwise decisions that eventually led you to a sinful decision. Very few people just wake up one day and decide to do something that they would never dreamed of in their life as far as a sin goes. 
But what we do do is we make unwise choices leading up to it, and then it makes the decision to commit that sin, whatever it might be in whatever area of your life it is, it makes it way easier because you've made all these unwise decisions leading up to the sinful decision. You guys with me? Listen, this is, this is for most of us what it looks like, and I, this is for me too. It's, it's unwise decision, this is the progression. Unwise decision, unwise decision, unwise decision, unwise decision, big fat mess. Am I right? That's what happens. We talk ourselves into all these things along the way. Well, there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. That's true too. But is it the wise thing for you to do? This is incredibly clarifying and incredibly practical. This is not a legal thing. For most of us, when we make unwise decisions, the things you're making decisions on and the things you're following through with, they're not things that if you were to get caught, you'd get put in handcuffs for. They're not even things that if you were to be seen doing them, people wouldn't be like, eh, we should probably go talk to that guy and get his accountability partner in on this, okay? Now, most of the time, it doesn't begin that way. It's a series of unwise decisions that leads to something that's sinful, that leads to a mess in your life. And we've all been there. We've all experienced that. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to look at this question, what's the wise thing to do, in three different dimensions as we kind of uh, get toward a close here today. First one is this, if you're taking notes. In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing to do? And here's why this is so important. My past is not your past. Your past is not my past. What's okay or what might be wise for me to do may not be wise for you to do. This is not a right or wrong thing. This is not a legal or illegal thing. It's what's wise for you to do based on what's happened in the past. And for so many of us, what happened last time you said yes? What happened last time you said no? What happened last time you didn't give? What happened last time you put that on the credit card? What happened last time? And and for a lot of us, history keeps repeating itself over and over, doesn't it? If you look at your life, so many in the room could probably come up here and say, you know what, I just don't know why my relationships keep ending up in disaster. I don't know why I can't keep a close friend. I don't know why my marriages keep failing. I don't know why my... And if you would look at your history, you've made the same unwise decisions which have led to the mess in your finances and led to the mess in your relationships and in your family. That makes sense? You know, I've heard it said before that the definition of insanity, I don't know who said this, is to do the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. And that's what we do. We make those unwise decisions and it leads to a mess. You know, Proverbs 26 talks about this. Proverbs, uh, lots of great wisdom in the book of Proverbs. If you've not read it in a while, pick it up, read through it. Proverbs 26.11, it's kind of gross, okay? Proverbs 26.11 says this, as a dog returns to its vomit, get a picture of that, so a fool repeats his mistakes. That's what we do. We keep going back to the same well. We keep making decisions the same way. And if we would just look behind us, remember how we started? Be careful then how you walk. Look down, look around. Know where you're going. Know where you've been. Listen, know the things. You've got to know the things about yourself that lead you down that path to sin. What happened the last time you stayed up late messing around on the computer, men? What happened the last time you stayed up late watching TV? What happened last time, ladies, you stayed out late with that friend of yours? What happened last time, teenager, the last time you went over to that friend's house? Listen, if we will look at our past, our past experience, it has the ability to propel us in the present and into our future. Amen? 
In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing to do? Let's keep going for sake of time. Number two, in light of my present circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my present circumstances, what is the wise thing to do? You see, you just got married. And I know you used to play basketball every Tuesday night. But you know what? You're married now. You have different responsibilities. Yeah? Listen, you just had your first kid. You just had your second kid. You just had your third kid. This is Kansas. Y'all have big families. You just had your fifth kid. Nothing wrong with that. Big families are great. <laughs> That's the way to grow the church. Just keep having babies. That's what you do, okay? Listen, you just, had your, you just had a child. That changes the way you do things. It changes the way we look and make decisions. It changes the way we spend our money. It changes the way that we spend our time. You know, maybe you just got a divorce. And you've already had your eye on somebody else. And you thought, you know what, it's going to be different with this person this time. But listen, in light of your current emotional state, because of what you just came through, what is the wise thing to do? In relationships. See how clarifying that is? And how convicting that is? Because so often you know the right answer. You know what the wise thing to do is. And yet so often we resist it. Listen, students, teenagers, you want to go to college. Probably not a good idea with your current circumstances to flunk out in math. Okay? Maybe your GPA needs some help right now. It's probably good to focus on that. What's the wise thing to do? Is it wrong to go hang out with your friends after school? Well, no. Well, is it wrong to spend the whole evening, you know, out to eat or whatever at the movies, teenagers? No, nothing wrong with that. Nothing illegal with that. You're not getting in handcuffs for that. But what if you have an exam the next day and it's going to really affect that GPA? That's your current circumstances. What's the wise thing to do? Listen, it, it may be a vacation or something that you're wanting to take. Maybe, you're, maybe your brother or your sister or your in-laws are going to take a, an annual trip to the Bahamas, and it costs $10,000. And you've been used to taking that trip. But based on your current circumstances, your present circumstances, you don't really have it this year, but you don't want to get embarrassed, right? You don't want to be embarrassed and say, we can't do that, or we can't afford that, or we can't afford to go take that trip that we normally take. But listen, in light of my present circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? It's not right or wrong. Is it okay to take a vacation? Yes. Is it okay to go to the Bahamas? Yes. Is it okay to hang out with your in-laws in the Bahamas? Eh, that was maybe iffy, maybe. Okay? This is not right or wrong. This is wisdom. What's the wise thing to do in light of your present circumstances? Look at the last one here. We're going we're to wrap up. I think this is probably the most powerful one of all three. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do. You see, in this room, we're all old enough probably to have thrown away some hopes and dreams, haven't we? You had a vision, you had a dream, you had a future that you had planned, and because of something that you chose to do in the moment, you ruined the opportunity to have that in your future. How sad is that? How sad is that to crush a dream, to give up your future for something today that won't be in your future? And if you look at some of the decisions that we've made over the years, right? We've had dreams that God's put in us that have been crushed and squelched and wiped away and eradicated because of bad, unwise decisions. Again, they're not right or wrong. It's what was wise for you based on what you wanted. See, single people, you want to get married one day, maybe. Listen, what's the wise thing to do right now with your finances, with your emotional health, 
with your body? Are you preparing yourself for what's coming? Are you making wise choices for what's coming? Adults, listen, adults and parents, people with the pocketbooks and, and the wallets, you want to get out of debt. What's the wise thing to do? Is it to continue to rack up more and more and more? Not necessarily anything sinful with using a credit card, but based on your future hopes and dreams of what you're trying to accomplish, what's the wise thing for you to do right now? You see how clarifying that is? You see how uncomfortable that makes us feel? We're like, oh man, pastor, you're stepping on my toes. I'm sorry. But, but I, want, I want to see us live differently. You know what? Paul starts out in this chapter, in chapter 5, talking about we're supposed to be different. There's supposed to be something different away, the way believers operate in community and do life. And if we'll apply this question, it has the ability to change our lives. It has the ability to change our futures. Let's put it all together. Got it on the slide here. I'm going to have you guys say it with me, okay? I'm going to say it once, and I want you to repeat it after me. You ready? In light of our past experience, present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? Let's say it together on three. You ready? One, two, three. In light of my circumstances, future, what's the wise thing to do? Here's what I know. Nobody plans to mess up their life. No one plans to mess up their life. People just don't plan not to. And asking this question has the ability to keep us from making a mess of our lives, doesn't it? You know, no one starts out a business or a company planning to file for bankruptcy the next year. Nobody, I, I've officiated, I don't know how many weddings in my time in ministry, I've never once met a groom standing at the altar with me who says, you know what, I'm excited about the day, but we're going to get divorced next year. I've never heard of anyone, I've been in, in the hospital room when people have, well, not in the actual room when they have the babies, but I've been in the waiting room after the fact with people having babies, and I've never once said, you know what, I hope my kid just turns their back on God and we're estranged. That's what I really hope, 18 years from now, that's what I'm planning for. But listen, are we making the wise decisions along the way to keep us from that end result? Nobody plans to mess up their life. They just don't plan not to. So what do we do? We've seen what God is saying to us through the writer Paul in this letter. So what's he want us to do? This is what I want you to do. It's, very, very, it's going to sound simple, but it's actually a little bit difficult. I want you to ask the question this week. I just want you to ask the question. You don't even have to do the wise thing. I just want you to know what you would do if you were to think, hey, I think one day I'll be wise and I'll apply this. I just want you to ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? And here's what's interesting. When you ask the question, when you begin asking it, every decision, every invitation, every opportunity, you ask this question, you immediately learn something about yourself. Teenagers, listen. Teenager students, college students, listen. When you start asking the question, what's the wise thing to do? It's going to sound eerily like what your mom and dad have been telling you. Now, you would never tell them that. But listen, when you ask the question, it's going to sound just like what your mom told you. Exactly, right? And here's the thing. If you resist that, you just learn something about yourself. Men, husbands, when you ask the question, it's going to sound a lot like what your wife's been telling you. I'm convinced the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like Sonia Wilson. It just is. 99 times out of 100, if I'm on the fence about something, I ask her, and she's right. 
She's, I don't like admitting that, but she's right. And husbands were like, oh, this is exactly what my wife's been telling me. I, don't, I know she said I don't need to do that. I need to like, cut out this hobby for a season. I know she said I need to spend a little bit less time at work. I just, but here's the thing. If you resist the wise thing in that moment, you just learned something about yourself, didn't you? Ladies, wives, listen to me. Listen, this is important. Listen. Wives, if you ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? And it sounds like something that your husband's been saying. Because we're just not normally that in tune. We're out in left field. We don't know what's going on. Honey, lead us. Show me where to go. Now, I say that in jest. But if we'll ask the why, what's the wise thing to do this week and for our future, every decision, every invitation, every opportunity, ask the question. Listen, you'll learn something about yourself. If you resist it, if you resist the wisdom that God gives you in that moment, you don't have your own best interest at heart. If you resist in the, in the moment the answer to that question, you've learned something about yourself. You don't have your own best interest at heart. If you hear what you know you need to do when you ask the question, and you just keep on driving on the road, even though you know the bridge is out, you're not looking out for your own best interest. And don't you owe it to yourself to ask the question? Because if you aren't looking out for your best interest, and I don't mean in a selfish way, I mean in a wisdom way, if you're not looking out for your own best interest, who's going to look out for you? It's certainly not going to be our culture. Probably not. But listen, wouldn't it be something if God gave us a book? Let's call it the Bible. And he gave us some really practical wisdom in it that gave us questions like this to ask over our lives. Because you know what? God, our Father, has your best interest at heart. He loves you he wants to bring you good, and he wants to bring himself glory. And those two things go hand in hand when we start operating in wisdom. Not what's right or wrong. Not what everybody else is doing. Not what your friends are doing. Not what other parents are letting their kids do. What's the wise thing to do? God has your best interest at heart. Don't you owe it to yourself to ask the question? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say it. Throw it up there one more time. I want, you to go to, I want you to go to sleep this afternoon as you're praying against Tom Brady. I want you to go to sleep and take a nap, and I want you to hear these words ringing in your ears, okay? Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three, go. In light of my past experience, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my past experience, my present circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, What's the wise thing for you to do? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the practical wisdom that comes from your word. God, teach us to do the wise thing, God. Remind every one of us this week to ask the question, Lord. Every invitation, every decision, every opportunity, help us to ask this question and let it change our families. Let it change our marriages. Let it change our finances. Let it change our schools. Let it change our city. Because we've begun to do the wise thing, the Christ-honoring thing for our given situation. Help us not to look around at what other people are doing, but to think about our past, think about our present, think about our future. The wise thing. Father, we need your help. We need your grace to get it done. Ask for that now. Give you all the glory.